0: chapter 22 of citadel of fear by gertrude barrows bennett this librivox recording is in the public domain citadel of fear chapter 22 a herder of goblins colin was ready but in thinking that his death was planned at the jaws of that frightful beast he had misjudged his captor stepping forward reed intervened his own person between the flame-eyed brute and its purposed victim Uttering a sharp command, he waved it back, with that left hand of his, that Colin saw very clearly now, was covered with a bulky, white-fur glove. The beast's jaws opened wider in a soundless snarl. Then, with a cringing motion, it whirled, leapt, and vanished in the swamp, like the gaunt phantom of hunger it resembled. Reed turned. "'They know their master, eh, O'Hara?' "'It seems so.' Colin eyed him sternly. "'What sort of goblin den is it you have here?' "'Goblins! Your Celtic superstition deprives me of credit. What you see is my work—my work, all mine. No supernatural bogey or god or demon lent any help to the creation of these dainty pets. They are mine—the children of my unaided hand and brain. Do you doubt me?' He put the interrogation with an explosive insistence that puzzled Cullen. When he spoke of the workroom as a goblin den, he had used the term in a hyperbolic sense. Despite everything, his preconception of Reed as an experimenter in freak zoology had kept the supernatural from his thoughts, and not even his experience with the luminous, blood sucking gatekeeper had changed this view in the steaming jungles between Capricorn and Cancer he had seen creatures as strange and loathsome. Such a one had Reed found, no doubt, brought it here and fed it daintily till it throve past the size of its tropical fellows. And he had taken it for granted that the frightful, starved-looking brutes thronging this den were the misbred abortions of more natural beasts. But Reed's words had an effect contrary to their meaning as if with new vision Cullen scanned the fetid breeding ground. The feline brute had hidden itself, but a number of its fellows were distinct in all their grotesquerie. From the pale blob of a thing that lurched past on a bunch of tentacle-like legs, to a creature so buried in mire that only its bony head lay on the surface like the yellowed skull of a horse, all were hideous. But nature herself makes many loathsome forms. It was not their ugliness that enlightened Colin. It was their eyes. Venomous, intelligent, unforgettable, that which looked through them was far removed from the innocent ferocity of wild beasts. They were goblins. And turning from them to their master he saw in Reed's glance that same stare of naked, demoniacal hate that was in the eyes of his creatures. At Green Gables a white-haired man paced restlessly up and down the library, and as he walked there poured from his lips the pent-up stream of a story so terrible, and at the same time so incredible, that he had dared to tell it to no man before. And in this he was right, for in all America there were but two living men who would have believed. Anthony Rhodes was not one of them, but it was not to Rhodes that he was talking. That level-headed young lawyer sat by the table, toying with a paperweight and wondering if there was any risk that the second lunatic he had entertained might become dangerously violent. That the second lunatic claimed to be the father of the first made the tale no more credible. Rhodes could only think of the beautiful Miss Reed with pity, but he saw no reason why he should be called upon to tolerate her equally mad relatives perhaps had Rhodes either shared in the fragmentary confidence bestowed by Cullen on his return from Mexico in June, or stood behind a bulging door and watched the white claw of a demon rip through its panels, his credulity might have been greater. To Cleona had been both these experiences. It was to her that the white-haired man talked, and whether Tony were convinced or not bothered her very little just now. In fact, for once Cleona was not thinking of Tony she was listening with the keenest and most lively attention to the story of Sven Bjornson, once advisor to the Council of Sacred Guilds in Telepalan, now a homeless wanderer, trailing an unnameable horror across the earth. It was a trail he had lost, lost very soon after it entered the United States. Only the chance that guided his wanderings to this city had also ordained that he reached there in time to read of the latest ravages at Carpentier. In June he had been on the western coast, whither the purely local excitement over that earlier mystery had never travelled. And yet it had been on some such incident as this bungalow affair that Bjornson had relied to pick up the trail again. "'I knew,' he said, "'that its ambition had become impatient, that strange bad events must soon happen because of it.' "'I was sure,' said Cleona. That the thing which came to my door that night had no natural origin. Madness, pure madness," muttered Rhodes, playing with the paperweight and wondering if it would be worse for Cleona's nerves to put the stranger out now or let him go on talking till he began to get dangerous. I saw your brother's name in this morning's account," continued Bjornsen, "and a reference to what happened in June." I looked that up in the old files of the Daily Record once, and then, then I knew. From what I have already told you, you can imagine how wild with anxiety I have been to find them, and it, the thing they took, I should almost say that escaped with them from Talapalan. I went straight to Carpentier. I suppose your brother was too disturbed and preoccupied to recognize me, and—he laughed shortly— Mr. O'Hara is not a person who is easily stopped when he happens to be in a hurry. By the way, I—the fact is, when your brother does recognize me, he may not exactly meet me with open arms. There was something—a thing I neglected to tell you. At our last parting I did him a very great wrong. That was fifteen years ago, but it was not the kind of wrong that a man forgets. Bjornsson paused somewhat drearily. In spite of his anxiety to find Cullen, enlist his help, and get from him any information he might have acquired, he rather dreaded that moment of recognition. Colin's probably forgotten it,' said Cleona abstractedly. "'He never bears malice long.' Her mind was running back over the man's narrative. "'I tell you, Mr. Bjornsen, there can be no question at all. This reed man—' with his hints to Cullen of strange beasts, with his albino servant, and his daughter, who's so lovely and strange and claims to be no daughter of his. The three of them fit to a tee with what you've been hunting. For the black god you speak of I do not know. Cullen said nothing to me of seeing any such carved stone demon out there, and the poor girl. I am afraid we gave her little chance to tell us of anything.' "'You meant well.' Oh, I know by your face and your manner and your... your sympathetic comprehension you meant well. You say she seemed in good health, only very mournful. Mournful! How can I make up to her for this last year? I had never thought to be glad for my dear wife's death. But I thank God now that Astrid passed in peace with the child she loved at her side, to be mourned by many friends. Yes, I am glad she passed before that red knight came to Talapalan. But, our poor child! Let me find her again, only let me find her. This won't do." Bjornson halted and visibly straightened both in spirit and body. "'Personal ties,' he said sternly, "'have a compelling grip. But my duty lies first in another direction. Mr. Rhodes. Do you realize that we have to save the world from an invasion atrocious beyond credence? I don't think it has begun yet. I believe, I hope, that we are in time to smother the thing in its infancy." The priests of nakakya knew the danger. They were very careful to restrict the power they had of it to one certain channel. But it is free now, free, loose in the world with its chosen servants. You may think me mad if you like, but I swear to you that there was, there is, life in that dreadful carved black stone called Nakakya'otl, a life that is ambitious and vile and that chose these vile men I have told you of for the agents of its fiendish ambition. And it has an enmity against the human race, an enmity darker and vaster than human enmity could ever be. Can you believe, child, that there are gods of old who still live? Old gods, and powers, that have survived the passing of their worshippers?" "'I can the easier believe in your demon,' Cleona said, for the sake of that which came to my door one night. Now, do you really think, Mr. Bjornson, that it was the porcelain image Colin brought me from Mexico that drew the bad luck to our bungalow?" "'I do, indeed.' "'Then I have no doubt you are right.' and i think tis in reed's house at undine that you'll find the lair of the evil spirit you are seeking cleona rhodes ejaculated tony getting to his feet at last and shocked beyond measure by the whole conversation cleona o'hara rhodes she corrected him with a sidelong flash of very much excited blue eyes there are things that we irish are quicker to understand than the rest of the world you keep out of this tony End of chapter 22